All right, well, welcome to another edition of Tunes Mate, our second edition. I'm Mark. I'm Ray. And welcome. Believe it or not, this is our 10th anniversary. So we're celebrating 10 years of Tunes Mate. Can you believe it? It's kind of amazing to think about it. It's hard to believe we've been doing this for 10 years. I still kind of remember the beginning. And uh, I, I mean, I've written a lot of posts in the meantime. And it just doesn't seem like 10 years. No. It, and it's funny is one of the first posts, if I recall, and I, you know, I'm not looking at the date here, but I did this post. I said, you know, the top 40 best birthday songs. And it was for a while there was like the number one thing that Toonsmate was getting, you know, hit from the internet. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking here down the list and I'm like, you know, okay, we got Happy Birthday by Guy Lombardo for He's a Jolly Good Fellow, The Beatles, right? They had Birthday, right. 16 Candles. Right. But it, it, it's funny. The one in here that always made me laugh was uh, "17" by Winger. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> For people that are turning seventeen. That's right. Uh, yeah, it's not quite the most appropriate. Song. No, I know. But what's funny <laughs> is whenever I see Winger, I always think of you know, was Beavis and Butthead had what was it? Stewart always had the Winger shirt on. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, but like. They've right. tried to bring Beavis and Butthead back. I think it was maybe five years ago, maybe yeah. longer than that. But it just seems like lately there's been this revival of, hey, let's bring back Will and Grace and let's bring that back. And, you know, yep. it's always the cycle. And I know we talked about that a lot on our last podcast, which I thought was interesting. But it's birthdays are something and anniversaries, they're special. You know, you always think about you know, songs and memories and there's pictures and and that's kind of how i'm feeling right now about tunes mate yeah well you know and, and you think about bringing back you know um have you seen that the tour this summer the mixtape tour yeah yeah new kids on the block and debbie gibson and of course uh the other day mark 30 years ago that uh new kids on the block hit number one for the first time it was their first of three number one hits uh, i'll be loving you forever mm-hmm. remember that song oh yeah Right, that was that was thirty years ago, earlier this week. So you know, it's kind of a, a you know, it's an it's a comeback, right? They're they're back with Debbie Gibson and Tiffany and Naughty by Nature and right and stuff. But they're also this is this Martin. We're really exactly thirty years ago right now was the height of New Kid Mania, right? They had th- this song, Hanging Tough, was coming later that summer. It was uh, uh, then a year later they released their next album and they had That's a Step true. by Step. And so with 30 years ago right now, New Kids on the Block was the thing, you know? And that's interesting. It's There has been a wave of tours like that recently. I think mm-hmm. a lot of artists are getting out there saying, hey, this is our 30th anniversary. I know, for example, Skid Row, you know, you mm-hmm. remember those guys, you know, 18 yep. in life. And, you know, yep. Sebastian Bach has left Skid Row and he's out on his own. And now Skid Row is out touring without him and they got a new lead singer. But he says, you know what? I'm going on the road anyway. I'm going to do the 30th anniversary tour of our debut album, and he's hitting road. And it's just so funny how you hit these numbers. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the fact that it's just when you hit that number, it's it all of a sudden moves into a different classification. You know, like classic rock says every song we play has to be 25 years, mm-hmm. you know, it has mm-hmm. to be around 25 years. And even the rock hall has a very specific minimum of yep. when you get in. So yep. it, it, is the number, is it, is it that key to make it nostalgic or is the number something that just helps classify something 
and make you feel <laughs> like it's nostalgic. Right. Well, you know, you know, there's a thing. I mean, there's no, there's no reason it has to be like numbers that are divisible by five, right? That, that's just like something we made up that we have to have it 25, 30. I mean, there's nothing to say that 29 or 32 couldn't be the year, right? But we have this thing in our culture where we mark five every five years, right? 20, yeah. 25, 30. And I think there's something to it because I think at 25 to 30, so let's say, you know, you're a rock artist and you're 25 or 30 when you have your big hits. Mm-hmm. Now at 25 to 30 years later, you're now between 50 and 60, right? And so, but like, or like the gotcha. kids on the block, they're like in their late 40s, hit, uh, heading to 50. I don't know if the oldest one, the oldest of them is quite 50. It might be. I think he is, I yeah. Remember. Yeah, I can't remember if uh, like Donnie is uh, 50 yet. Um, but so they're right about 50, right? So, and, but of course, they they were young too. You know, they were like, you know, just out of teenagehood when they did this. And in fact, Joey McIntyre still was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then, but there's something to that because I think, you know, the other one you notice is 40. And it always seems to me that, that 40 becomes a, a celebration time because people start, uh, I mean, this is kind of morbid, but people <laughs> start dying off, right? So Well, it's true. Know, if somebody was 30 and we, we celebrate the 40th anniversary, they're 70. Well, they got to get to 80 to make it to 50. And that, you know, not everybody does that, right? So, so you know, 30 still, you, you know, you, oh, I got you're it. still kind of in it, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. So it's... It's, it's literally the fact of a lifespan of someone. Mm-hmm. And then you're using that as a way to kind of look back. And I was even mm-hmm. thinking about the Beatles. Uh, you know, I, I've mm-hmm. got good old Joel Whitburn here and I'm going through it. But, you know, they had a song, I think, When I'm 64. I'm yep. trying to see it in here. But they picked, you know, some, some magical number out there. And who even knew they would make it to 64, right? I mean, some of them didn't. No, only two of them did. That's that's right. But when you are in that time period and you know, you're writing a song or you're thinking about it, you know, you're not thinking about it. It's so funny. I always look back and I, I read a lot of rock biographies. And whenever the interviewer asks them or they retrospect, they go, we never had an idea we'd last this long. Mm-hmm. I barely even understood how to play a guitar and we lasted this long. So it is interesting. Like I see the common thread of when I'm in position, I'm writing a song. I didn't even think I'd get that far. So I understand the value of, okay, we're celebrate 30 years because I didn't even think I would make it here. <laughs> right. Right. Well, another one that's interesting. So, uh, this past week, uh, Sunday marked 35 years since Madonna hit t- the top 10 for the first time. Borderline was their first a top 10 hit back in 1984. Amazing. And, you know, Madonna has the record. She's got 38 top 10 hits more than anybody else. Uh, Drake is right on her tail. I think Rihanna's right on her tail, too. Mm-hmm. You know, but they benefit. We, I think we talked about this uh, previously. You know, they benefit from the uh, so-and-so featuring so-and-so thing. You know, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the big thing now. Madonna's gotten a couple of top 10 hits off of that in the, the her, her, her hits from the past couple of years, but the bulk of her career was back when, you know, that wasn't the thing. And it was rare when you had that. So, mm-hmm. you know, to, to me in a lot of ways, I was thinking, I was actually thinking about this today. And I, you know, if, if you study like sports, sports statistics, they always say it's hard to compare eras, right? So you don't know how Hank Aaron would hit, uh, you know, in today's world. Right. Right. Or, 
you don't you don't know how um um uh well bart Starr passed away a couple years ago and you know some folks would argue he might be the you know he's in the conversation for the greatest quarterback ever and you know but you don't know how he would play today right so you can't compare eras because the game changed right the same kind of thing goes on with with pop music Mm -hmm. so uh, and and the the Billboard Hot 100 chart. So so the record for the longest stay at number one is uh, One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men in the mid 1990s. Mm-hmm. But the era was different then. You go back ten years before that. You go back to the late 80s, 86, 87, and the longest anybody was staying at number one was three or four weeks because the the way in which the music industry put out records mm-hmm. and the way in which radio played records changed even from the early eighties to the late eighties. And then of course in the nineties, the way they, they even did the chart changed. And when they changed to a new met- methodology for the, for doing the hot 100 chart in 1991, it really changed the game immediately. Yeah. Songs were spending a lot longer at number one because that's the way that it actually worked. So you're comparing eras. It's hard to compare. You say Madonna's had 38 number one hits Drake's had like, or, or sorry, 38 top 10 hits. Drake's had 36. Well, but they're in different eras, you know, and they both beat the beat or, or the Beatles are right, right up there too. But that's a whole different era too. I think it's interesting that you're going back to something that I think is a common thread of tunes mate, which is the fact that we respect each decade and in how music has evolved. And right now, if you think about it, like you were saying, Madonna has the record. Soon going to be be broken. But if you were to ask anybody about Madonna and you know you compare it to Lady Gaga or whatever, but it seems as though they understand that specific moments are being cherished from you know all these these concerts that are happening. I'm even looking right now. I mean, I know you were talking about New Kids on the Block, but mm-hmm. you've got Madonna just released a new album. You know, she's out there. Lionel Richie now is out there on American Idol. He's trying to drum up something. But you will notice that when he is still singing and and Madonna is still singing, they still have their core group of fans. Mm -hmm. And they haven't left. But I think it's difficult. I'm seeing this more and more frequently that I think it's difficult for some of these older artists to gain new fans. So that's why they're really capitalizing on, it's my 30th anniversary, come back. We're going to play it from beginning to end. And even Rush did that before they concluded their whole thing. They did moving pictures Mm -hmm. from, from start to finish. So I'm just wondering if it's the fact that they know they can pack the place. They're not really catering to new fans. And I think that's what's special about it because... They can go so deep, they don't have to worry about, I have to play every single one of my hits. Right, right. Well, and that, make, that makes me think of a couple of things. First of all, so you mentioned Lionel Richie's doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, he turned 70 this weekend. So, you know, he's out there, you know, it's it's been uh, 35 years since his heyday and, and 45 years since the Commodores, uh, since they really kind of hit in the seventies and he's uh, you know, he's out there at 70 doing this. And you know, I think you're right that that idea of, 
I'm going to, I've got this core of fans. You, you, you're going to get some new fans. You know, there are people who can, who will, will appreciate, yeah, they might bring their kids. you know, that they weren't into once or that precedes them or whatever. But you're right. The idea that, you know, I'm going to play this out. You know, you went to, you went to see uh, Phil Collins in his, his latest concert. Right. And I, you know, I imagine that was the same kind of thing, right? It was, I'm going to play the stuff that I know people like and they want to hear. And, uh, and they, they're coming to see Phil Collins possibly one last time. Right. And, and that's almost that. I mean, that's the draw, you know, people like Ozzy Osbourne, et cetera, they've done these multiple farewell tours, right? Because if you call it a farewell <laughs> tour, then everybody goes to see it because, um, Oh my God, my last chance to see whoever. Right. Really? But this really made me think of, uh, I was listening to, uh, Sirius XM radio the other day. Uh huh. And they do the, um, I, I listen to the 80s on 8 a lot, and they have the we- weekly, they go back to one year in the 80s, and they do the top 40 from that decade, and Alan Hunter and Mark Goodman and Nina Blackwood come on, and they you know, they preview all the songs, and, um, and they were playing 1989, and it was funny, because just a day or two earlier, not the top 40, Mark Goodman was playing... Uh, one of the Mike and the Mechanics songs, I think it was All I Need is a Miracle. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned that the latest incarnation of Mike and the Mechanics, they, they've gone back to their two-singer model. It used to be Paul Carrick and the late Paul Young. Well, now it's, I can't remember the other guy's name, but one of their lead singers is Andrew Roachford. Now, wow. you know that name, Roachford, right? Yeah. You know that that's one of those 80s classic hits that I love. Well, in the 80, in 89, they, Mark Goodman was introducing it, and he, or he was coming out of the Roachford song, and it was Cuddly Toy Feel For Me, which was Roachford's only top 40 hit here in the States. And it was interesting, because I expected him to mention, by the way, Roachford's you know, playing with Mike and the Mechanics now. He didn't, but two days earlier, he mentions Roachford, and he's like, they are awesome. You know, He's talking about how, how good they are with so here's this this combination right of you know huh. here's this here's this guy who had his own career right andrew rochford and now he's touring with mike and the mechanics and doing some of their songs and play uh doing lead vocal on their their songs kind of like we see with uh um with uh, fleetwood mac right and, and neil finn from crowded house uh doing fleetwood mac songs since uh, Lindsay buckingham left yeah I, that whole thing amazes me how a band can keep evolving. For example, Foreigner. Mm-hmm. Right now, Mick Jones is sometimes tours with them. So they still have, you know, if you were to look at the band members, there's nobody original in the band. <laughs> you know, right. Right. <laughs> maybe Mick might show over once in a while. So you are going to have these bands that are going to keep evolving and maybe their birthday, their anniversary, you know, whenever they start doing these tours and going back, it will just turn into this we're going to give you the greatest hits we're not going to go deep anymore we're just going to keep going we're going to fly the flag of the the actual you know the logo the the logo of these bands seems to be the most important thing that anybody can have but there are some bands that say you know what we're going to call it quits like i was saying rush there's some other bands out there yeah did that yep we're not going to add anybody new we're just going to call it quits Mm -hmm. yep you're right. And it's kind of like, it's almost like different philosophies, right? You know, it's, you know, Mike, Mike, the mechanics, I think is a good example. It all revolves around Mike Rutherford anyway. So, you know, as long as he's there, there's going to be Mike and the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that, that comes to mind about a week ago, the daily eighties flashback was, uh, the temptations and one of their, their hits from the 1980s power. Mm-hmm. And I mean, 
the Temptations, there's only one of them still even alive, Otis Williams. He's about yeah. 75 years old, 76, 77, and he's still doing – he's still out there doing it. You know, he's got a whole different lineup. But, yeah. all, you know, all the other original guys, um, you know, have long since passed away. But he's out there and, and he's – like you said, he's got the, the Temptations brand, right? And we got we got this brand. We know there's a whole group of people that are still going to come out to want to hear the, the greatest hits of the Temptations, just like the, you know, the greatest hits of Skid Row that you mentioned or New Kids on the Block or – you know, not that new kids on the block or Skid Row are quite in the same dimension as the Temptations, but, you know, same kind of idea or Fleetwood Mac's a good example of that. Yeah, but you do hit on something interesting. The fact that you talk about brand, you know, it's all about the, the brand and keeping it going. And, you know, I also saw that you had something a while ago about 50 years ago, Elvis Presley in the ghetto. And, yeah. you know, the Elvis brand obviously is something that is iconic with Las Vegas and I know right now that now it's you know basically in charge of Priscilla and is still one of the majority owners. But then her daughter too, you know they they own that brand and they're continually trying to keep it alive. But the one thing I wanted to talk to you about that I think is interesting is they're introducing holograms now. Mm-hmm. So they recently, you know, Michael Jackson did one uh, years ago where you know he toured and. I know that's that was pretty significant. I think they did one with Tupac. I think they're yep. doing now one with Ronnie James Dio. You know, they're trying to do that. <laughs> and you wonder is, you know, will people continue to pay to go, you know, they have a live band around them. So, you know, there's a live band with a hologram and there's some other things they do. And you start thinking, well, can they continue <laughs> You know, doing Elvis and some of these other bands, because like you said, there's only one original member of the Temptations. These bands probably can keep going on and on and on. But there's going to be a point where if I'm a very iconic band, I really want to see the person I know, like, you know, you know Steve Tyler from Aerosmith. Right. right. It's very difficult to imagine him not as the lead singer or Mick Jagger or some of these other folks. If that does happen, you know, God forbid will hologram be a decent replacement? You know, that's an interesting question. And it probably relates a lot to the type of brand and the philosophy of the band. Yeah. Right. So, so Elvis, yeah, you're right in the ghetto, you know, it was 50 years ago. And that was, that's even an interesting one itself because between 64 and 68, Elvis kind of fell off the map a bit. I mean, he had a couple hits here and there. But, you know, 68 was his return, and then he comes back and gets his last number one hit with Suspicious Minds and gets a couple other uh, top, top ten hits. One of them is in the ghetto. You know, Elvis is a brand unto himself. Nobody else can be Elvis as as um, much as uh, uh, some people um, like Nicolas Cage might try. But, <laughs> but, but you know, so a good, an interesting sort of counterband to that is Queen. I think you say Millie Vanilli. What, what's the million? <laughs> so, but Queen's an interesting counterexample, right? So, so I mean, nobody can really replace Freddie Mercury. I'm, you know, nobody's. There is no other sure. Freddie Mercury, right? I mean, you know, the, we have the film, and you know, the actor played him well, etc. But you know, there's no other Freddie Mercury, right? But they've got Adam Lambert out there doing the Queen songs, mm-hmm. right? And it, you know, that's the that was the the way that they re- went, and um. And, you know, that might have been what's the band's philosophy. It might have been, 
you know, they felt like the queen band and they found the right fit. Right. So it's a matter of who's the right fit, you know, in excess. Another example, right. They hosted a whole TV show just to get their new lead singer. Right. You know, and a reality about that. To, to try to replace Michael Hutchins, who again, you know, is anybody ever going to replace him? Well, I don't know. And, and he's not as, I mean, I don't, I, I love Michael Hutchins. I wouldn't quite put him in the same kind of uh, iconic category as Freddie Mercury, but the, you know, there's these different philosophies and I'm sure that you're right, that there's, there's some brands and bands out there that a certain member is so iconic that the idea of if we could have this, this person on stage as a hologram that beats the alternative. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you personally, the idea of seeing a hologram does nothing for me. But that's me, right? Other people, you know, if I could see a, a hologram of John Lennon, maybe that would work, you know. But that's, you know, that's. I right. think it's gonna. It's it's an interesting thing that we're gonna see in the future. Yeah. It, well, and one thing I think is also part of this, I guess, live band perception is how they package it too it's like is it a tribute because i know queen for a while there was was touting it as a tribute you know we have adam lambert they brought in paul rogers you know from free and a bad company he, he was part of it too but they really were saying we want to give a tribute to our music and we so happen to have paul rogers as a lead singer now we have adam lambert Mm-hmm. And I know that is an interesting angle because you're not saying, well, we are trying to fool you. This is, you know, you're coming to see Queen. Mm-hmm. But I still think there is something that is exactly what Tunes Made is about, is the power of music. You've got all these songs. People are going to sing along to We Will Rock You. They want to hear the Bohemian Rhapsody. They want to sing along to it. These are songs that you've just continually grown up on. And that leads me to another point, which I keep thinking about, is what about the songs <laughs> that are played over and over that are still good songs? Like I, I was I was looking back, you know, I think about all the songs that Lionel Richie had. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, if you probably rattle off a couple all night long and everything, but he had a bunch of other ones that nobody plays anymore. I mean, he had a, a comeback hit, I believe it was in 94, maybe 95, called Time, I th- and it was a decent song. Does anybody play it? No. And I, I just wonder, why, how does that happen that for someone like Queen, for example, they have, you know, maybe 15, 20 songs that are constantly played in rotation. They have some deep tracks that aren't. But then you have other bands that have probably just a just as long as a you know dossier of songs. Like let's throw Foreigner out there. There's probably only five songs that get played from Foreigner on a consistent basis, mm-hmm. even though they probably have just as many stacked up to Queen. Is that just mm-hmm. something that because of rotation, because of popularity, because of the fact that you had a dynamic frontman? You know, sure, Lou Graham. You know, mm-hmm. probably most people don't know him from Adam. Uh, right. That was supposed to be a bad joke about Adam Lambert, though. But uh, <laughs> but seriously, though, if you think about it, you know, why does that happen when there are definitely a bunch of hits, but we just kind of gravitate just to a few? Right, right. Well, or even that that there's bands that have those hits that last, and bands that have a stellar career of many hits. But there's not one or two that that have the sort of lasting resonance, mm-hmm. 
right? So, so foreigner, when I think of foreigner, I think your example is interesting here. So, you know, I think you get urgent quite a bit. Yes. Uh, you get um, waiting for a girl like you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, their biggest hit, I want to know what love is. I mean, that's kind of there, but, yeah. you know, it doesn't get played as much as the other ones, I don't think, in retrospect, right? You know, no. cold blooded, um, that gets played yeah, a lot. Yeah. But at the same time, foreigner, and you're right, they had a long career with a lot of hits, a lot of top 40 hits in there. I don't know where they compare with Queen. Uh, very probably comparable. They may have even have more top 40 hits than Queen did. But uh, but Queen's got a couple of classics that are like these timeless things that, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know that Foreigner has a single song that is a we will rock you type of thing or Bohemian Rhapsody kind of thing. Right now, part of that is because they get it's how they get used. Right. So, yeah, Queen has oh, interesting. Always been used for commercials and stadiums pop culture touch point and things like wayne's world it's that etc so it's it's interesting who gets the sort of continued play because of that and who doesn't sporting events think about yeah. it i mean that's played in every thing you can think of well which probably was part of the genius of queen they probably i mean those those were some smart guys right these are a bunch of guys who had uh college degrees and i think freddie mercury's was in uh advertising and marketing or something and the rest of them had like science degrees that's why they were able to do, you know they did so much in the studio because they actually they work with the science of sound in the studio these were really smart guys they probably wrote that song thinking this is going to be played at, at stadiums and yeah. shit you know stadiums and stuff right so they're they're like let's let's do this because we, we're going to have something that may actually play out and well, be played in 50 years later and here it is right i mean you're 100 percent accurate i mean in the bohemian rhapsody movie there was a scene where uh, I think it was Brian May started clapping and said, "Hey, we we need to we need to write some song that you know that the whole crowd can you know chant along with and clap along with." So he yeah. started doing that that you know that stomp and that clap. And you're right. I mean, it was definitely planned. So maybe you maybe that's the thread here is when you're an artist. There are or there are some artists that just write songs because they love their songwriters. They're writing songs. It's kind of coming from you know their soul. And there are others that are very you know um, poignant and very business acumen, saying you know I think we need to uh, write a song that is a top forty hit. You know, or I think we need one of these here. And then also, I think this is another thing tying into what you were saying earlier is the music industry has changed in the past. The record company would demand certain things. You know, you don't have a hit on your record. You know, I need I need you to do this or that. And very controlling of how the album was constructed and, and bringing in producers and, you know, spending a long time in the studio. And now you look today where there are artists that are just releasing their own you know, records and, you know, putting things out whenever they want to. And I think... That could also be impacting one of the things you said earlier, which is about you know, music charting and, and how it's you know being activated. Because in order to actually have a hit, I have to have five people <laughs> to uh, to crack you know any resemblance of a hit. Right. Well, and, and that's I think the the changing nature of the the music industry again. So um, that the days of the I mean. I, things are still packaged. You know, when Taylor Swift releases a new album, 
there's still a bunch of a packaging that went into that, right? You know, when, you know, and I'm just using Taylor Swift as an example. I'm going to go to Imagine Dragons or Pink or whoever the heck we're talking about here. And mm-hmm. but at the same time, we've moved to a a more song oriented rather than album oriented industry, right? So in the late '50s, it was song oriented, and then in the '60s mid to late 60s it moves to the concept of the album then the 70s we get into full the idea of the the album as concept right and in the 80s and 90s we really saw uh the idea of well we just make albums and that's where you you know you saw a lot of that you need to have a couple of hits on there kind of stuff right and that was the whole the idea was you had a couple of hits and filler you know and that was that was a number of acts that worked that way. Not everybody did that, but a lot of acts worked that way. But really, I think the the advent, and so this would have been right around the turn of the millennium, the advent, Napster, and other digital music sharing sites, and that, I think, changed things. Because then it became, first of all, any artist can, I mean, if anybody, anybody mm-hmm. wants to, they can... They can write stuff and throw it up on YouTube or something, right? You know, anybody can be Chocolate Rain, right? And oh, and and at the same time, same time. So one, anybody can put you, you. You can get your stuff out there if you want, right? With websites, with with online availability, people can just put stuff out there. And then secondly, because of the way people consume music now, so people consume by the song more than they used to, and so. I buy the song. I can, you know, I can go on iTunes and buy the song. I don't have to buy the whole album. Now, of course, you could do that, and you know, you'd buy the forty-five, you'd buy the single. Right. That was a different process. You still had to go to the store, purchase it. Now you're sitting in your home. Oh, I like that song. I'll buy it. Right. Or I like that song. I'll listen to it on YouTube. And in fact, that goes to the changing charts again. So if you yes. look at the Hot 100 chart now, you know, it's not just based off of. Uh, songs, first of all, in the late 90s, about 98, they changed to allow songs that weren't released as singles to be on the chart. Before that, you had to actually be released as a single. And so there are some, you know, big songs that are out there. Into the Groove by Madonna, for instance, was never actually released as a, as a single of, in its own right. And so it never charted on the Hot 100. I mean, it's a huge song, right? But never charted. Huge song. It would have been her 39th top 10 for sure, right? But but it never did because it wasn't a single. Um, a good example is 98 when they changed the chart. Uh, remember Natalie and Bruglia, Torn. A huge hit, right? Big song. Huge hit. Spent like 10 weeks at the top of the airplay chart, right? But it, it, it was caught before Billboard changed their methodology for the chart. Mm-hmm. And so when they changed the chart to include airplay-only songs... It came. It debuted on the chart at like ninety or something, and it didn't get much higher. I don't even know if it went any higher, but it, you know, it, it never went to number one. It was actually a not a hit at all in terms of the Hot 100. But of course, that's that's wrong because it was a huge hit. And yeah, so that's amazing. What they did later was they then revamped the charts even more as with the development of YouTube, etc., so that uh, YouTube plays right the the amount of streaming. Uh, hits for songs become part of the equation because they recognize this is how people listen to music now. You know, I go on YouTube and I, I, I listen to music. A, yeah. a good example of that was uh, Side Gungam Style. Right? Oh, so yeah. it went all the way to number two. Maroon 5 kept him out of number one. Uh, but he went to number two in large part because he was getting YouTube hits. People watch that song on YouTube. Yeah, and that's amazing. I mean, just think about that. That 
as music has changed, so has the charts been trying to keep up with it. It kind of reminds me of law. It's like the law yep. can't can't keep up quick enough with the way things are changing. But the reality is that there are some you know bona fide stars out there that yep. you know that are being able to make a living because their music is streaming. But here's one thing that I'm interested in is. You know, I'm looking at, you know, for example, I know we're, we're talking about anniversaries, but, you know, I'm looking back at some of the anniversaries 25 years ago, you know, Beautiful My Eyes, jo- Joshua Cadison. I don't know what happened to Joshua. He just seemed to like just fall off the earth. And I tried to see his website and what he was doing. I, I don't think I found anything, but I find it fascinating that these 25 years ago, these five years ago, these 50 years ago, that, like you said, it's it helps you kind of remember where you were and then where you are now. And as music keeps evolving, I keep trying to figure out like where is it going to go next. I mean, is there any clear you know visual when it comes to music of you know obviously iTunes now has stopped saying they're shutting down the iTunes store over X amount of time. So is that okay? So downloads are shriveling up you still got vinyl you still got cassettes but do you have any sense of where music actually is going like from from a listening perspective i honestly take the philosophy that you can't know one of the old things this goes back to the 70s in the record industry was the throw everything at the wall and see what sticks philosophy spaghetti it was the yeah it was the you know we never know what's going to take off and what's not um, you know, they could package and package and package and things would, you know, and it wouldn't necessarily matter. And, you know, there were very few folks who could, you know, in the 70s, say Diana Ross, for instance, later Michael Jackson, you know, the Bee Gees, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, Elton John. There were there were certain superstars that you could you could bank on. And in fact, you you banked on banking is the right term because you use the money mm. that you made off of those folks to help fund all of the losses that you were going to take, right? So for every Elton John, there were going to be at least seven to eight uh, folks who didn't do anything, you know, that you tried them and they didn't work. And and things were always constantly changing. And anybody in the record industry who thinks that they know what's going to happen in the future, <laughs> uh, I mean, they may have some ideas about, they know what, they know what technology is being developed. They know stuff right. like that. I mean, I'm not going to say people can't know that, but anybody who thinks they can predict the future of music, I think, is is full of it. I think. Well, well that's so I, funny. Honestly, I never know. I think that it's always a matter of something just hits, and there you go, and then they try to they try to box it up in different ways and get people that imitate it. And yeah, yep. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about you know, that song that was out maybe a few months ago, "Baby Shark." You know, it was yeah. just these YouTube phenomenon, right? And all of a sudden, it's you know, I think it was like a top five single. You know, something of that nature. Top 40 hit. It didn't. Top 40. In terms of the Hot 100, it was a top 40 hit. Yeah, it was a top 40 hit. And it was quickly in our culture. And nobody can predict what it was. It was just, you know, silly little thing that just, you know, turned crazy. And, you know, I'm sitting here and I I just flipped through, you know, the book. And I landed on Bobby Bland. Right? I actually saw him perform one time back in the day when I think he opened up for B.B. King. B.B. King used to do this. Easter special where you'd come and, and play 
And I was, you know, who is this Bobby Bland? And I remember looking at this a while ago, but, you know, I'm looking down. He had a, he had a, a really a long career. It was like 57 all the way up into the 70s. And he had, it looks like here, five top 40 hits. But everything else was, you know, ranged in the 90s. And he, it seems like that philosophy was here too. Let's just keep putting out Bobby Bland records. Let's see which one sticks. Come yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Or you uh, get these. That one went to twenty eight. Or you get these acts that are kind of talented, and they can they sustain. They just they never have big hits, but they've got a a certain segment of the population that they have the following, them, et cetera. And um, I'll tell you what, and maybe it's kind of an ending thought. Yeah. You mentioned Baby Shark. I mm-hmm. will say this. I, as I said, I, I I don't believe anybody who says they can predict the future in terms of music. Mm-hmm. But I did see a couple months ago. I saw a prediction. Mm-hmm that I actually do believe. And this kind of will tie to our anniversaries at Saturn. I think maybe this is, at least for me, a good ending point. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw something on Twitter and somebody said, you know, in 15 years, some DJ at like a really hip club, like in, in New York, is going to bust out Baby Shark. And the whole crowd is going to be like, oh, my God. And they're going to run out there and dance to it and do all the hand motions and everything. Because all these kids now that are three and five and seven, they're going to be like 18 and 20 and 22. And they're all going to be at these at these clubs and parties and stuff. And they're going to hear Baby Shark. And it's going to be like, oh, my God. Remember back 15 years ago when we were kids and we listened to this song? And that's going to I. I guarantee it. Maybe hmm. it's not going to be the hip club or whatever, but I guarantee in 15 <laughs> years, somebody at, at parties yeah. are going to, somebody's going to break out baby shark and everybody's going to just go like, Oh my God. And they're going to be into it and just dance, just dance to it. <laughs> he could be right. That does tie into, uh, you know, a really good thought. The fact that everything is tied to a moment and, you know, going back in time and doing something that wrestles up some memories and brings us to a good place, maybe a bad place, but it definitely you know moves us. Uh, just a couple questions before we go. One is favorite memory. Ten years. It's been ten years with Tunesmate. Do you have a you know a favorite memory or or something that you're really proud of over the last ten years that you specifically remember about Tunesmate? Yeah. So I remember that you know that I'm a big Richard Marks fan. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other people know it about me and they, they, they joke with me about it, but well, I've always said it's about the songwriting, but I did see, uh, I saw Richard Marks in concert at, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, about 10 years, uh, about eight years ago or so. And then I saw him play with the Toledo symphony. So he does these, he's one of a number of artists who go around and they play with various symphonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just, I think, in Nashville. Don't quote me on that, but he just played one about a week ago. But he, I saw him in Toledo, Ohio, and he was playing with the Toledo Symphony Orchestra. And I wrote a review of it, and I posted it in uh, – I wrote it on Tunes, made a review of it uh, back when I was going to concerts more, and I was able to write some some concert reviews on the website. And I was really proud of the review. When I got done with it, I you know I was very proud with how, what I had written. Um, my wife read it, and she said that she really liked it. And then uh, I put it on the, the discussion board on Richard Marx's website, and uh, whoever the, his site manager was actually took it and put it on their main webpage. And so Toonsmate was actually featured uh, for a little while on uh, Richard Marx's website, and uh, the Toonsmate 
uh, concert review. And that's probably it. I don't know if it's my only mem- my only really great memory like that, but it's the one that comes to mind. And mm-hmm. it, it's it's a really good memory of where I felt like I wrote something kind of good here, and uh, I was pretty proud of it. What about you? <laughs> Mine's uh, it could be a little cheesy, but that's my personality. Mine just goes back to the beginning. You know, calling you up, talking about hey. What if we did this thing? <laughs> what, what if we started talking about music? And here we are, 10 years later, just just continually doing it. And you've been knocking out of the park over the last you know five years on a continual basis, putting music up there. Just the fact that we have this resource and just to be able to, to share music anecdotes and, and keep it rolling. <laughs> I mean, it, to me, it's just all about the beginning. Absolutely. So we have our title title. Last podcast, I threw out Runaway. So we've got which Runaway wins title title. We got Del Shannon, Janet Jackson, or Bon Jovi. Yeah, I like them all. I'm going. I went with Del Shannon because I just that's it's it's a classic that in my mind just comes to mind so well. But I really like all three songs. But I I voted for Del. I'm with you. I uh, folks. I voted for Dell too. <laughs> I, Somebody voted for Janet Jackson too. I, I don't know what happened. Yeah, it is interesting. It, what's what's fascinating about it is I've never seen the Bon Jovi Runaway video. I've only listened to it on the radio, okay. and uh, I was like, okay, well, that was interesting. Del Shannon, obviously, it's just some 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 concert footage of him, and I I almost totally forgot about the Janet Jackson tune until you said it last time. So. Title, title, man. It just keeps coming back. I'm telling you. So vote. Title, title. Tell us what you think. We're going to keep it going. As we continue, I said last time we have some interviews. And believe it or not, we do have three or four coming up. Surprise. Look for those coming around the corner. And we're excited to bring those to you. I know we've got some more things in the works. Tunes Mate. Ten years old. Ten years old. There's ten candles on the cake. I think once you get past a certain point, you can't fit them on the cake anymore. And it's really hard to blow out. And generally, it becomes a big wax mess. So I I think we can still be safe with 10 on our cake. Any final thoughts, Ray? Congratulations on creating a great site, buddy. Happy to be part of it. Yeah, same there. Well, once again, thanks for joining us. It's Tunes Mate.